It's good to see y'all in the house of the Lord today. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to the Gospel of John, the 16th chapter. The Gospel of John, the 16th chapter. Several weeks ago, we started this study in the Gospel of John, and we're going to continue studying uh, in the book of John today. Now, as you're turning there and being ready to prepare to read, and by the way, put a bookmark there, because we will be looking at some other scripture, and you'll need to be able to come back and find the 16th chapter. Now, some years ago, as as I sat in the office of one of my attorneys, and uh, this attorney happened to be a friend of the family, and we we uh, had the opportunity to visit a little bit, and he showed me a photocopy of a handwritten letter from Abraham Lincoln that was written to my lawyer's great-great-uncle. Now, at this particular time, this uncle happened to be the president of the University of Pennsylvania, and he was involved in writing a pamphlet on the furtherance of this country. And what Lincoln did in writing this letter, he commanded the man for the pamphlet and thanked him for his great insight into the betterment of this country. And, you know, that was a pretty neat deal, getting to see the handwriting of one of our greatest American presidents. And even though it was just a photocopy I was looking at. But I want to tell you some things about Abraham Lincoln that you may not have known. When Abraham Lincoln was in his 30s, he went through some very dark days, a very challenging time in his life. Instead of the personal and professional success that he had hoped for, that he was looking for, he, as many of us, was facing financial struggles. According to some, he even broke off a romantic relationship because of those difficulties. On January 23rd, 1841, Lincoln wrote this to a friend, and I want to read this, and I quote what Mr. Lincoln said. He said, I am now the most miserable man living. If what I feel were equally distributed to the whole human family, there would not be one cheerful face on earth. Whether I shall ever be better, I cannot tell. I awfully forebode I shall not. To remain as I am is impossible. I must die or be better, it appears to me. End quote. Now, no doubt Lincoln would have said in 1841 that he had faced the hardest thing in his life, some of the darkest days of his life. And it's just like you and me. We can go back and look at our lives and we can point to a specific time, a specific place, a specific situation that we were going through and we can say, hey, this was the darkest time in my life. One of the worst times I have ever been through. But the thing with Mr. Lincoln was within 20 years, he would confront even far more difficult days by leading a divided country at war. Now, as I said earlier, we too can look back to hard days that we've experienced. But here's the thing. We don't know what lies ahead. We can say five years ago, we went through the darkest days of our lives, but we don't know what tomorrow holds. How do we know what suffering is coming our way? We simply don't. But as we will see in John's writing and in Jesus's word, Jesus has already secured the victory for us. So no matter what we face, no matter how bigger mountain is in front of us that we have to climb, 
we know with assurance that the victory has already been won for us, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. How privileged it is to have a Savior who has won the war for us. I want you to listen to this testimony of a young father. And again, I want to quote so I don't get this wrong. This young father said this, My wife has given birth twice. And I'd say witnessing a baby coming into the world might be the scariest thing I have ever seen. Both births were near-death experiences for her. Both times, the tears of fear and pain turned into tears of joy. So yes, witnessing a baby coming to the world might be the scariest thing I've ever seen, but it was also the most beautiful thing I have ever seen. Let's end quote. The concern, the terror the pain that he experienced, that his wife experienced, was replaced with the joy of a new life. Jesus painted a similar picture for us as well as for his disciples in John the 16th chapter. He had told them that he was leaving, but they had every reason to be joyful because, as I said earlier, the victory has already been won. He had already won. So let's look in the 16th chapter of John together and let's see what Jesus has to say. 16th chapter of the Gospel of John, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 19. It says, Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him and said unto them, Do you inquire among yourselves of that I said? A little while, and ye shall not see me, and again a little while, ye shall see me. Verily, verily, I say unto you, that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice, and ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail or labor, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child or has given birth to the child, she remembereth not the anguish for joy that a man, that word man is human being, is born into the world. And ye know and ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. Now Jesus had told his disciples on numerous occasions that he would face death in Jerusalem. But they didn't understand what he was talking about. They didn't understand what that was going to entail or what it would accomplish. But Jesus was very clear on one thing. His death was going to be painful for them. His death was going to break their hearts. But with Jesus, we need to understand that resurrection follows crucifixion. Reunion follows separation, and joy follows sorrow. And that is the gospel right there. Jesus' joy was taken from him so that our joy never can be taken from us. He was taken from his followers so his followers couldn't be taken from him. He did the painful work so that we could be born to a new life and so that our sorrow could turn to joy. What a awesome, mighty God we serve. Now, there's no doubt that for all of us, the death of Jesus must be sad. 
it it, it should be uh, 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 make every one of us sorrowful to an extent because not only was his death a awful brutal injustice but we were the ones that put him there we were the ones to blame and the prophet Isaiah said it this way I want you to turn to Isaiah the 53rd chapter verse 5 Isaiah 53 verse 5 are y'all there amen But he was wounded, that word wounded means pierced through, for our transgressions. He was bruised, or that word bruised is crushed, for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes, that means blows that cut in, we are healed. Now there's something that I want you to see here. It says, but he was pierced for our suffering. That's obviously a reference to Jesus Christ. How could the prophet Isaiah know about Jesus Christ when he wrote his book some 400 years before Jesus ever came upon the face of the earth? You know, how could an Old Testament person understand the idea of Christ dying for our sins, actually bearing the punishment that we deserved. You know, it, it was one thing to kill a lamb. They had the sacrificial system back in Old Testament times. But it's something quite different to think of God's chosen servant as that lamb. So what God was doing here, God was pulling back or pulling aside the curtain of time to let the people of Isaiah's day look ahead to the suffering of the future Messiah and the resulting forgiveness made available to all people. Now, I need you to see this. For those of us who understand it, the cross represents sadness. It represents sorrow. It represents pain. But thankfully, the cross was not the end of the story. The cross leads to new life. Look again what Jesus says. Turn back to the 16th chapter of the Gospel of John. Look what he says in verse 19. He says, In a little while you will no longer see me, Again, in a little while, you will see me. In verse 20, he says, you will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. In verse 22, he says, so you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Can you see the hope that Jesus was giving the disciples? The the disciples were not left without any hope. And neither are we. And and when we put our hope in Jesus, we're not the same anymore because we have a change. It comes into our hearts. A change comes into our mind. You remember last week we talked about being being persecuted, and, and and Jesus told us that we was to expect that. But the thing about it is, I told you last week, when we become followers of Jesus Christ, believers of Jesus Christ, we're not the same person anymore. Our thoughts and, and our actions are not as the world. We're weird. We're we're strangers. We we don't our our line of thinking and the world's line of thinking don't correlate. It doesn't line up anymore. So let's read some more. Let's go back to the 16th chapter, verse 27. It says, For the Father himself loveth you, because ye have loved me, and hath believed that I come from God. I came forth from the Father and 
and am coming to the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. Now, Christianity points us to the reality of two truths. There's two truths that we just saw in those two verses that we just read. The first one, Jesus is from God. And the second one, Jesus is in the world. Listen to me. If Jesus isn't God's son, then he has nothing to offer humanity. And let's face it, we all need to be able to escape God's judgment because it is coming. It's coming to every one of our lives sooner or later. If Jesus isn't the rescuer from God's judgment, then he doesn't have the ability to die in our place. He doesn't have the power to rise from the dead. Jesus' claim to be from the Father is no small thing for us. It's very important that we comprehend that. In the same way, Jesus also says he has to be in the world. If Jesus is from the Father, but did not come into the world, he couldn't help us. He couldn't do us any good. If Jesus had not put on the flesh and dwelt among us, if he hadn't have been born as a human being, just like you and I are, and live down here on earth, just like you and I did, you know, he couldn't do us any good. Though he has the power to cancel our sin, it never would have been canceled. All of our hope rest in these two truths. Now, I've mentioned several times in this study in the Gospel of John, I've I've mentioned this before, and I'm going to mention it again. Y'all should have this memorized by now. But, But John began the Gospel. If you go to John, the first chapter, the first verse, he... He started his gospel with an incredible truth about Jesus. He said, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What does the Bible tell us in John 3.16? He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, one and only Son, unique Son. Now, Jesus now states that truth very clearly to his disciples. He says, I come from the Father and have come into the world. But Jesus isn't through when he said that. He continued and he said again, I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Jesus' return to God the Father gives us comfort for a number of reasons. And one of the biggest reasons, one of the biggest comforts, is the promise of heaven. Earlier, Jesus told his disciples, you remember in in chapter 14, uh, beginning in verse 1, uh, Jesus said that he was going to prepare a place for them. And, and if he prepared a place for them, you know, he said, I will return that where I am, you may be also. Well, Jesus prepared a place for us through his work on the cross. His resurrection ensures we can have eternal life. And he will return. It says it in, in the 14th chapter of, of John that he will return to take us to our eternal home with him. And, and that's an awesome promise from, from our Savior. All right, let's go back to the 16th chapter and let's read some more. Look in verse 29. His disciples said unto him, Lo, now speakest thou plainly, and speaketh no proverbs. In other words, use no uh, 
figures of speech. Verse 30, Now are we sure that thou knowest all things, and needest not that and needest not that any man should ask thee. By this we believe that thou comest forth from God. I hope you can see that we needed Jesus to return to the Father. And here's why. Earlier, Jesus had promised to send the Holy Spirit after he returned to the Father. I want you to look back in verse 7. Of, of chapter 16. It says there, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient, that word expedient means advantageous, for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter, the Comforter is the Holy Spirit, our Helper, our Advocate, will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. Now, unless Jesus came and did what he came to do, there would be no gospel. If he did not die, he could not remove our sins. He could not rise again and defeat death. If he did not go back to the Father, the Holy Spirit would not come. Christ's presence on the earth was limited to one place at a time, just like you and me. We can't be in two places at one time. Jesus was human, just like we are. I know, yes, he was fully God, but he was only human. He could only be at one place at one time. You remember, Martha and Mary summoned him to, to the tomb where Lazarus, their brother, had died. And they had laid him in, in, in the tomb. And, and Jesus got there, and it was like four days after Lazarus had already been dead. And they said, if you would have only been here. You see, Jesus could only be one place at a time, and he couldn't be there when they needed him there. But here's the deal. His leaving meant he could be present to the whole world through the Holy Spirit. And here's the most amazing thing to me. While he was on earth, yeah, Jesus could only be with, with those disciples who were physically in his presence. But the Holy Spirit would be in the heart of every believer wherever they were. So Jesus could be everywhere all the time. So when Jesus returned to the Father, he began a new work on behalf of his people. There he is, seated at the right hand of God the Father. And now what is he doing? He intercedes for us. The writer of Hebrews said it like this. Let's, let's turn to Hebrews, the seventh chapter, verse 25. Hebrews, the seventh chapter, verse 25 says, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing him ever liveth to make intercession for them. No one can add to what Jesus did to save us. Our past, our present, our future sins are all forgiven. And Jesus is with the Father as a sign that our sins are forgiven. Now, being with the Father, being at the right hand of the Father, Jesus is our high priest. Christ is our advocate. He is the mediator between us and God, the mediator between us and God. So he looks after our best interest. He intercedes for our best interest with God. So finally, Jesus returned to the Father to reign forever. 
Everything about our victory and how we live it out is because Jesus is from the Father and he has returned to the Father. All right, let's read some more. Go to the Gospel of John, the 16th chapter. Look in verses 31 and 32. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour coming cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered every man to his place, or to his own, uh, and his own means his own place, and shall leave me alone, and yet I am not alone. Why? Because the Father is with me. I don't have any idea why any one of us may need a conqueror at this specific moment. But I'm sure that you do. We all do. Here in just a moment, and don't be peeking ahead, in verse 33, Jesus says, you will have suffering in this world. Jesus is telling that in this world, he's telling us that in this world, we're going to experience all sorts of suffering. You know, we're, we're going to experience the loss of jobs. We, we, we are going to experience uh, uh, sickness and illness and, and health issues in this world. You know, we're going to break bones. We're going to break promises. We're going to find all sorts of things to worry about. We're going to see uh, old friends pass away. Why? Because suffering happens. And we know. Because the Bible tells us, and Jesus told us this last week, that Jesus himself was not immune to suffering. And he said, if I was persecuted, you're going to be persecuted. If I suffer, you're going to suffer. Even as he spoke these words that we just read, he was moments away from taking on the role of the suffering servant for our sake. In other words, Jesus faced suffering. He, he was abandoned by his disciples, his closest friends at the time of his arrest. But Jesus remained strong. Why? Because he says the Father was with him. Now, I want you to think for a moment here. I want anybody to answer out loud. I'm not trying to embarrass anybody or cause any kind of rift. But I want to ask you a question. Do you know someone that is suffering right now? It, it, it may be from uh, sickness, it may be from health issues, it may be from the loss of a spouse, a loved one, something along that line, but you know someone that is suffering. The best thing that you can give that person right now is a call or send a message encouraging them, reminding them of the peace and the victory available to us all in Jesus Christ. Let's look at verse 33 and see what Jesus said. 16th chapter, verse 33. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In other words, I've conquered the world. Now, I want you to notice something here. Jesus didn't say maybe. He didn't say Hopefully, he didn't say, I might, or I think. He spoke very confidently as the creator of the universe who knew it was impossible not to finish the job. 
Jesus is the conqueror of the world. If you have a relationship with God through Christ, he's your conqueror. Jesus lived a perfect life. In other words, there wasn't any mess-ups in his life. There wasn't any uh-ohs. There wasn't any, I wish I hadn't done that. And it has meaning for us. He died a saving death for us, and that has tremendous meaning. Jesus rose from the dead, conquering death itself, and he says to us, my victory is your victory. We are conquerors because he is our conqueror. We can have peace and live with courage because our victory is in Christ. Jesus won the battle, and now he says, my victory is yours. I read a little story. And this little story goes along with what I'm trying to say here. And I'm, I'm going to close with, with this little story. A man has this to say about his sister. His, his sister was a fantastic banker. And when she bakes, not only what she bakes is delicious, but it's very gorgeous. And she recently sent him a photo of this colorful cake that looked like a dog. The design was fun. The detail was amazing. And the brother said, I just thought this was another culinary show and tell from my gifted sister. But it turns out that this was a cake that her daughter, his nine-year-old niece, had made for a baking competition at her school. And parents were supposed to help. Well, that explains why this cake looked like it was ready for a magazine cover. And that story kind of makes me think what Jesus is trying to tell us in verse 33. He said, in this world, we're we're going to face suffering. We will have problems that are too big for us. We will face pain that's too great for us to endure. We're going to have to fight battles that we don't know how to fight, much less how to win. But Jesus knows. He knows exactly what to do. That cake was the niece's cake, but her mom knew exactly what to do so that her daughter would succeed. Can you see it? Can you see what I'm trying to tell you here? That's what Jesus does for us. He gives us the victory. Jesus can't lose. He says to us, you can have my work. You can have my victory. Here, my child, you can take my masterpiece. It's yours. Jesus is telling us today that no matter what trial you may be going through at this very moment, no matter how much you might be suffering for something that's going on in your life, no matter what tragedy is going on in this old world right now, Jesus said what in verse 33? I have overcome the world. He's our conqueror. He has won the battle. The victory is his, and what does he do? He hands it to us. I hope and pray that each one of us here today knows Christ as our personal Savior so that we too can have the same victory. Let's pray together. Father God, we just thank you for loving us so much. We thank you for all the blessings that you bestow upon us, Father. We just thank you for your grace and your mercy. Father, we thank you most for the forgiveness of sin, for your Son that died on the cross, that we might have eternal life. 
Father, I just thank you for this church. I thank you for this church family. I pray a special blessing upon each one here today. Father, I certainly want to remember those that are not with us today. We've got a lot of sickness among our congregation. Those folks are not with us. We pray that they are okay, Father, that you will get them well. And Father, we certainly pray for all the folks that we have on our prayer list. We've got a lot of, of folks there that, that has a need, and we just ask that your need, that your spirit will move and that need will be met in a special way. Father, we just ask that you bless us with some rain that we desperately need, Father, as we leave this place. Just continue to protect us in this very challenging time that that we live in, Father. We just ask that you guide and direct each one of our lives and that as we go out into the world, that you will help each one of us point to you. Point someone to Jesus Christ, Father, that, that you will give us the opportunity to tell someone about Jesus Christ. Someone that doesn't have a relationship with you, Father. So, Father, I just thank you so much for all that you do for us. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.